Check, check, check. There I am. Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, really quickly, um, before we jump in this morning, uh, did anybody, do people still do New Year's resolutions? Is that still a thing? Anybody, real quick, just want to just raise your hand and just share what's your New Year's resolution? Because if you're not willing to share it in a large setting where it invites some level of accountability, it's probably not really a resolution of yours. So real quickly, New Year's resolution, who has one? Jerry has one. To rest better. To rest better. <laughs> to, yeah, that's a great resolution. Who else? Paul? Yeah, start exercising more, walk six miles three times a week. That's a, I'm sure that's a, a popular resolution in general, just uh, to try to exercise more. Anybody else? Re- uh, Riley, I almost called you Reed. Tim pull-ups, yeah, great exercise goal. Devante? Yeah, that's great, that's great. Miss Trudy? Okay, great. Yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, that's a great goal. That's great. I don't like the dentist either, so I'm, I'm with you. Well, that's great. Well, this is a, a popular time of year, obviously, to be setting goals for the new year. And so uh, we're going to be talking a little bit this morning about about what 2018 can look like for your, for your life and how how we can we can all as followers of Christ have a have a resolution that's common that's a resolution that we want to draw closer to Jesus during this year we want to come to know Christ more and so we're starting off a new uh, new series this morning called saturate saturate being disciples of the real Jesus in the everyday stuff of life being disciples of the real Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. What does that even mean, the real Jesus? The real Jesus. Who is the real Jesus anyway? I mean, all of us, uh, we live in, in what we call a multicultural society. And so what that means is that many of us in different parts of our life, we come across people who, who grew up maybe differently than we do. And so you know, I, I can go interview 50 people on the street and ask them the same question, who is Jesus? And I can probably get 50 different answers because we all have this, this lens that we view the world through and it's how we were raised. It's the, the traditions we were raised in, the culture we were raised in, what our parents believed. And so uh, this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna try to, to unpack this, uh, this idea of, of who is the real Jesus. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna spend the, the first part of this time a little bit introducing this series, and then uh, we'll dive into a passage of scripture. So multiculturalism, I, I mentioned that word earlier, and, and I think that to, to kind of answer that question and why we feel it's important to answer that question of who is the real Jesus, we have to have a pretty good understanding of multiculturalism. So I'm going to give you a, just a, a brief history lesson, if you will, of multiculturalism in the United States and in the Western culture. So multiculturalism, uh, as, a, as a historical reality in the West, 
um, really started, started moving in the 1960s. Uh, now, some of you were around during that time period. You, you probably know what I'm talking about. You remember some of these events. But there was a, a certain countercultural movement that began to happen, especially within the youth or, or those who were a little bit younger in the 1960s. And they began to, to challenge um, some of the, the cultural superiority of Western culture. So up until that point, in general, most people uh, believed that, that Western culture was just simply superior to other cultures. And so in the 60s, we started to see a, a young generation who started to, to kind of buck that trend. And you started seeing protests come up, and they were, they were protesting materialism. Uh, they were protesting militarism, so the, the Vietnam War is going on in this time. And for the first time, um, TV is involved uh, a little more so than it had been previously with, uh, with war. And so you can see in your living room, you can see the horrible effects of war. And so there were, there were rallies, staged, protesting war. 100,000 people gathered at the Lincoln Memorial as a, as a certain level of disillusionment crept into this generation, a disillusionment that, that suddenly maybe everything that, that our country does isn't, isn't necessarily great or isn't necessarily the best. And in previous generations, at, at large anyway, that thought process wasn't really there the country was spending $25 billion per year on the Vietnam War and thousands of people were dying and there was a generation who was beginning to protest and revolt against that. Again, this stands in stark contrast to previous generations that, that embraced a more nationalistic, patriotic ideal. And so the civil rights movement uh, really took off in that period as well. The civil rights movement laid, uh, laid a foundation uh, for a multicultural emphasis on racial diversity as well. And we saw leaders come up in, in civil rights, uh, leaders uh, like Malcolm X or leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. And in the 1970s, as time progressed, American politics began to see the impact of this, of this multiculturalism effect and this trend as they witnessed a, a power struggle growing between, between different groups of, of minorities who, who began to, um, to, to form groups essentially trying to create voting blocks that couldn't be ignored. And so you had groups like the, N, the NAACP, uh, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. You had groups like NOW, um, uh, National Association, uh, or National Organization, I'm sorry, for Women. And these, these groups started to, to really organize themselves and started to embrace this idea of multiculturalism. Even in the 1980s, uh, gay and lesbian groups began to form and become more organized and start to push in politics. And you start to see a, a social change begin to come over the country. And this multicultural reality is enhanced um, by people coming into our country as well. And so you see an increase in ethnic and religious diversity in Western society as we, as we invite millions of, um, of immigrants from all over the world and they come into our country and we truly become just this melting pot of different cultures and people bring with them their own religion or their own philosophy or music or art and dress and food. And you start to see what, what at one point was primarily a Western culture become to become more of a multicultural destination. And of course, at the same time, we have advances in technology and TV really led the way with this where um, you could start to see the entire world through your television television. 
And of course, uh, with modern technology where we have the internet and, and probably almost everyone in this room has literally a, a world of information at your fingertips. You wanna know something about something on the other side of the planet? Just Google it, it's there. And so on a, on a macro level, multiculturalism, multiculturalism is a reality. It's a present fact of life. And not only is it a reality, not only is it a present fact of life, it's, it's here in Memphis. If you look around, there's many, many different cultures that exist within our city. And it's really, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I hope that nothing that I said as far as the history of it made it sound like it was negative. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing. In many ways, it's a, it's a reflection of just the multifaceted character and creativity of our God who, who invented culture to begin with, the creator of culture. But it's important that, that as followers of Christ, we don't allow a multicultural context to define or water down the gospel or to define that question that we started with, who is the real Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? There's a lot of different answers if you just asked people. So when we talk about the real Jesus, we're not talking about uh, someone who's defined by our own histories, our own cultures, or our own ideas of who we think Jesus should be. Because a lot of us have ideas of who we think Jesus should be. So we think Jesus is a Republican, or we think Jesus is a Democrat, or we think Jesus uh, is this color or that color. We have just our, our own ideas of, of what we think Jesus would say or do or act in the 21st century. So how do we know the real Jesus? Where do we turn? Well, the, the wonderful thing about trying to answer that question, who is the real Jesus, is that we don't have to try to, to try to guess or try to just wade through all of it and figure it out. The wonderful thing is the one who created us and the one who, who literally sustains creation has expressed himself to us in human words. And we see it through his word. And it's vital that we listen to his word, that we spend time in his word and so we can't allow culture to define who Jesus is. It has to be defined by his revealed word. And so we have scripture and we have the Bible and we have the opportunity and the, the blessing that it is to be able to open it and be able to hear God's revealed word spoken to us. And so it is vital that we listen. So Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 5, if you want to turn there. We find this passage, Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. And the, the heading in, in my Bible says the value of wisdom. The value of wisdom. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 says this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let's pray with me one more time. God, we are grateful uh, for your word. God, we are grateful that we can gather in this place. God, we can open it. And, and God, we don't have to guess who you are. 
God, we don't have to just ask people on the street or, or gather other people's information or other people's insight, but God, you reveal yourself completely through your word. And so God, this morning, I pray that you will stir up in our hearts, God, a, a desire to know you. That God, that will be on top of all the resolutions we've already made for this year, but God, our, our primary resolution will be that in 2018, God, we desire to know you more. So God, help us Help us come to that place where that is our, our greatest desire. So God, speak to us this morning from your word. God, reveal it to us. And God, awaken our hearts to it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So drawing close to Jesus through his word, understanding and knowing who is the real Jesus and how, if, if God's word is the way that we can answer that question, how can we draw close to Jesus this year through his word? So the first thing we're gonna look at, the first aspect of that is the discipline of God's word. The discipline of God's word. Because on one hand, the pursuit of God through his word truly is a discipline, right? So there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of hard work put in. Even if you go back to this passage in Proverbs, uh, listen, listen to these words. My son, if you receive my words, Treasure up my commandments. Make your ear attentive. Incline your heart. Call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver. Search for it as hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That sounds like there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work to be done before the understanding comes, right? And that, that's, a lot of, uh, that's a lot of action verbs. That's a lot of things that, that we need to, to be proactive in pursuing. So there's a lot of hard work put in. Um, it's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like coffee, Try to bring everything back to coffee. Um, it's kind of like coffee. Um, I didn't like coffee growing up. I didn't like coffee even when I was in college. Now, I, I could go to Starbucks and I could drink like a caramel macchiato, but if you order a caramel macchiato at Starbucks, you probably don't like coffee either. <laughs> so I got out of college and I started uh, my, my first real job and I had to be at work at eight o'clock in the morning. Now, all through school, I had somehow avoided, uh, for the most part, having to take an 8 a.m. class because I, I just wasn't good in the mornings. Really, I wasn't good in the evenings at going to bed at a decent hour. It made me not good at, in the morning getting up at a decent hour and actually making it to that class and passing that class. And so this, uh, this, this new idea that I had to be at work at 8 a.m., was, it, was, it was difficult for me, and, and I would do it, and I would get to work, but uh, when I got to work, it's like, have you ever been like half at work? It's like my body's here, but like my brain's still in bed. Uh, that's kind of how I felt, and so I, I, I discovered in the morning, like, what do people do to wake up? They drink a cup of coffee. So we had a coffee maker at work, and of course, you know, we didn't have, you know, caramel macchiato machines and all that, so I, I just had to embrace coffee. Uh, we also had cream and sugar, so I thought, this is the best I can do. It's the closest to caramel macchiato I can make it. Let me get cream and sugar. We'll just pour half coffee, half cream, a little sugar, and uh, let's make it into something that I can drink. Um, and so I did that for a while, and, and I started to like it. It's not so bad. It's not a caramel macchiato, but it's not so bad. And then uh, one day, we ran out of creamer. Now, I worked in a small place. There were three of us total that worked in this building. I don't think anybody else was very concerned about the creamer. And uh, so we just, we ran out of creamer. We just didn't have any creamer until somebody decided that they wanted to go to the store and buy some, which apparently never happened. So I, I thought, well, 
Maybe I can just put sugar in it. I'll just put a little extra sugar, just make it work. So I started doing that. So I get to work in the morning and I'd put sugar in my coffee. And of course, we didn't have any creamer and started to like that. And naturally, um, since I'm eating the sugar every day, eventually we run out of sugar. And again, no one seems very concerned. I guess I was the only one using it. Uh, No one seemed very concerned. And so at this point, I still need my coffee. There's no creamer, there's no sugar. I'm just drinking a black. And uh, I I didn't like it at first. I missed my sugar and I missed my cream, but I I learned and I grew to really love just coffee, just the the flavor of coffee. And sometimes reading God's word is, is like that. You almost, you have to learn. There's a learning process as you start to read God's word where you, maybe at first you just open your Bible and you don't know what you're reading. You don't know much of God's story through scripture and it just seems confusing to you and it seems hard to understand and it's hard to read. Well, in, in discipline, as we discipline ourselves to embrace God's word, there's a learning factor there. And you have to learn to love it. And you have to be disciplined in that process. And you have to have a desire that says, I I desire more than anything, I desire to to love and know and learn God's word. And so I'm I'm gonna go through the hard part because the end is worth it. There's a discipline associated with spending time in God's word. This is a quote from Jonathan Edwards. And I don't have it on the screen, so just listen He says, a true Christian doubtless delights in religious fellowship and Christian conversation and finds much to affect his heart in it, but he also delights at times to retire from all mankind to converse with God in solitary places. And this also has its peculiar advantages for fixing his heart and engaging his affections. True religion disposes persons to be much alone in solitary places for holy meditation and prayer. Discipline also requires commitment. Discipline requires commitment. Discipline is is not easy. That's why it's called discipline. It's not supposed to be easy. So anytime we do something that's that's not very easy, it requires some level of commitment from us. So if you want to learn to do anything, if you want to learn to play guitar, you don't just pick up a guitar one day and you just know how to play it. You have to be disciplined and you have to be committed to it. You have to understand that even if you go a few days and you don't feel like you're getting any better at it, that you're still committed to the task of learning to play guitar. You have to be disciplined and committed. And so my my question for you for this year, for 2018, if if our desire is to be disciplined and committed to spending time and learning more and drawing closer to God throughout this year, what is your plan for that? What is your plan for that? What is your plan for spending time in God's word and drawing closer to Jesus in 2018? Because you can say that you're committed and we can say that we're disciplined, but if we, don't, if we don't have a plan, we're not really committed to it. If we don't have a plan, we're not really committed to it. We can't say that we're, we're committed if we say, what's, what's your plan for spending time in God's word? And we say, oh, I don't really have one. I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, whenever I get bored during the day, I'm gonna open the Bible and read it. That's, that's not really commitment. That, that may be expressing some level of desire, but you're, you're not committed without a plan. And so just really, really basic things we can do just to come up with a plan. One, set a time. Set a time. It might be morning. It might be evening. It might be on your lunch break. Like some time in the day, set a time. My time is in the morning. And 
by the end of the day, by nine o'clock rolls, like we put the kids in bed and then we're like right after them because we're, we're just worn out. So my time has to be in the morning. And so something that, that I do that's worked for me in the past, and I'm not even gonna lie to you, it doesn't work every time, but something I do that, that's worked for me in the past is I set my alarm for a specific time that, that allows me to wake up and spend time in God's word. And then I put my alarm on the other side of the room because if it's next to my bed, like I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna roll over and I'm gonna turn it off and I'm gonna roll back over because it's warm and I'm not gonna get up. So set a time and be intentional with that time. Choose a reading plan. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, tried to spend time in the Word and you just kind of flip open your Bible and you're just like praying, like, Spirit, lead me what to read today? And it, Leviticus, Spirit, try again. <laughs> in the New Testament, preferably. Um, have a reading plan. There's, there's a thousand reading plans. You can just, again, take the phone out of your pocket and Google it. There's a thousand reading plans. You can read through the Bible in a year. You can read through the Bible chronologically. You can read through the Bible uh, devotionally. There, there's, there's a thousand different ways that you can read through the Bible. And so have a plan. Just pick one of them. Have a plan. Set a time. And lastly, just the, the third just basic step is just to pray. Just pray, ask God just to continually increase your desire to spend time in his word, to continually increase your desire. Because the truth is, there are, there are mornings when if you do mornings and your alarm clock goes off and you're tired, and the truth is that there are mornings that you, just, you don't, in your flesh, you just don't desire to get out of bed. And you don't want to go into another room and open your Bible. And you, you just don't want to in that moment, in that time. So continually pray and just continually to ask God to increase your desire to draw closer to him so that in those moments, your desire to know and draw closer to Christ is greater than your desire to stay in bed. You're greater than your desire to do you know, whatever else it is that can fill your time during that time period. The discipline of God's word. <coughs> Another aspect of drawing close to Jesus through his word is, is just simply the joy of God's word. The joy of God's word. Back in this passage in Proverbs, we see language like, like seek it like silver or search for it as a hidden treasure. Have you ever seen someone search for treasure uh, like begrudgingly? Like people like to search for treasure, right? Like they make movies about it and there's like stories about treasure hunts. Like that's, that's something that's exciting to do. People enjoy searching for those things because there's, <coughs> there's a reward at the end. There's excitement and joy associated with it. Um, my son is, is three, and we uh, spent this Christmas at uh, Caitlin's parents' house in Virginia. And when, when we go there, I really enjoy it because there's not a lot else going on when we're there. Uh, so we just kind of hang out at their house. When they come to Memphis for Christmas, it's a little different because my family's here too, and they've got friends and family here and extended family. And so I feel like we're going in a lot of different directions. But when we go there, it's, it's, we're just kind of at their house and it's, it's just relaxing. And so, but in that, uh, sometimes you got to figure out well, what are some ways we can entertain our kids. So uh, Grayson, Grayson's been really into maps recently. Uh, I don't know why, but he's just, he loves maps. And he likes to look at maps and try to turn them upside down and figure out where we are. So uh, one night, and I didn't, <coughs> I didn't plan to do this, it just kind of happened, but we made a treasure map together. 
So we drew this map and we drew this island and there was water and we drew our ship where we landed on the rocks to come to this island. And then we drew this line all the way around, little squiggles and circles. And then we put an X at the end. And that was where our treasure was. And then we had, to, we had to come up with all these things that we had to go through in order to get to this treasure. So I'm asking Grace, and I'm like, all right, how are we going to get to the treasure? What, what are the obstacles we're going to have to overcome? And uh, so we put a, like a river on the map, draw a river on there. We say, how are we going to get over the river? He's like, a boat. I'm like, all right, here's our boat. We draw a boat on the map. And next thing I say, you know, what else are we going to come across? He's like, a tiger. So I draw a terrible tiger on this little map. And I'm like, how are we going to get past the tiger? And um, he says, uh, how did we get past the tiger? Nerf gun. You're, thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, his, his words were, we're going to shoot him. And I said, with our Nerf gun? And he said, yes, with our Nerf gun. So, so we shot the tiger with our Nerf gun. And then we came across a lion. And I said, how are we going to get past the lion? He said, with our sword. We're going to hit him with our sword. So we draw a sword on the map. And then next thing we come to, there's a big mountain range. And it's just impassable. How are we going to get across these mountains? He said, with our sled. So we draw a sled. And we're going to sled down these mountains. And then finally, finally, you get to the treasure at the end of the map. And the, the funny thing is that all in that, in that just little fictional journey, all of those things that we had to overcome, all of it was worth it in his mind. Because at the end, like you get to the X, right? You get to the treasure. And so there's, there's joy in that journey. And in the, in the discipline that we just talked about, there's joy in that journey of discipline and commitment. Because at the end of that journey, there's a great deal of treasure. Seek for it like silver. Search for it as hidden treasure. And we gladly go through those hardships so that we can come to that, uh, that X on the map. We can come to that treasure. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Jeremiah 15, verse 16 says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. There is a joy found as God's word begins to not just merely be words on a piece of paper, but as God's word becomes, becomes alive to us. And as we realize that it's not just words on a paper, but this is God's revealed word. He who, who created everything around us, he's now revealing himself through these words on this piece of paper. So do we, do we delight in that? Again, a, a Jonathan Edwards quote says, do I delight to retreat to a secret solitary place to enjoy a season of undistracted focus on my Lord through his word. Do we delight in it? So God's word spreads joy. And not only to ourselves, God's word begins to, as we spend time with him and as we soak in his word, God's word begins to flow out of us and as we spread God's word, as we share the gospel with people around us, it's not just a personal experience, but it impacts the world around us. In, in the book of Acts chapter eight, um, verses five and eight, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So in verse eight says, so there was much joy in that city. 
So as Philip goes and, and as he begins to proclaim the words and the truth of who Jesus was, joy spread, not just to Philip as he, as he learned and knew Jesus, but also joy began to spread through Philip to the world around him. Where can joy spread in the world around you? Where can you allow the Holy Spirit, as you, as you spend time soaking in God's word, where can joy be spread through you? It can be spread in your workplace. It can be spread in your families, especially in your home. There's many, multiple places joy can be spread through you as we take God's word in, as we experience that joy, it naturally expresses itself as it goes out. So we have the discipline of God's word and we have the joy of God's word. And, and lastly, this, we have the application of God's word the application of God's word. Uh, very simply, James 1.22 says, uh, don't only be, or, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. The purpose of, of reading the Bible isn't always so that, you know, after spending time reading it, we can write some PhD um, dissertation paper on the verses or the passage that we just read. A lot of times, we, we need to just read the Bible because we just, we just need to do what it says. We just need to live out what we read. And sometimes we get caught up in just these in-depth studies, and there's a place for that, just in-depth word studies, going back to the original language, having an understanding of the, the historical and cultural context. Those things are important. But also sometimes we get, we get lost and we get confused in all of that. Sometimes we just need to open God's word and read it for, for what it is and listen to the Holy Spirit in our hearts and just do what it says being doers of the word and not only hearers and so deceiving ourselves. So that's why a lot of times the, the most essential questions that you can ask as you read scripture and as we set a time for ourselves and as we, as we find joy in reading it, what are some questions that we can ask ourselves? Simple questions like this. Why is this in the Bible? So when you read a passage of scripture, just ask yourself that. Why, why, is, this even, why is this in the Bible? Why would this be here? Why did Jesus say this? What is he trying to communicate? What does this say that helps me in my relationship with God? How, how can I know God more through this piece of scripture, through this passage? What can I learn about him? What can I learn about his character? What can I learn about his thoughts and his attitudes and his feelings toward me, his child? How does the, the truth of this passage change the way I live? So some of these questions are, are similar to what's on our, our coffee group cards. If, if this passage is, is true, how does that change how we live? What am I to do in light of it being true? And then what is the Spirit revealing to me about my walk with Jesus? What is the Spirit revealing to me? Is the Spirit revealing in my heart places where, where, where I'm living in sin, places where I haven't repented of old habits? What is the Spirit revealing to me through this passage? And the, the wonderful thing is that, uh, that we're able to do these things not only in our living rooms in the morning or in the evening, we can do these things in community with one another. We can ask these questions to one another. And so we have missional community groups and we have coffee groups and we have, we have avenues you know, built in where we can spend time in God's word together. And we can ask these questions of one another and we can encourage one another and, and build each other up in the faith. 
God initiates things through his, through his word and through speaking them. Even way back in Genesis chapter one, you don't have to turn there, but, but going back to Genesis one and creation, God initiated creation, not by waving a magic wand and not by just snapping his fingers and making something happen. Go back and read the language. It, it says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. God said, let there be lights in the expanses of the heavens. God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. God said, let us make man in our own image. God initiates things in this world, not by, by magic or, or some some fancy snapping of his fingers. God speaks things into existence. He initiates by speaking. This, this self-expression of God is so, so deep and rich and full that it's not just personal, but it, it became a person. So John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus Christ being the Word of God. So my question is, what is God going to initiate in your life through his spoken word as we spend time with him this year? In 2018, what, what are we allowing space in our lives to even have an ear to hear where God and his spirit can initiate action and movement in our lives as we spend time in his word? Are we rooted in the word of God in a way that, that we have, like Jesus said, that we have ears to hear? Are, are our spiritual ears even turned on? And is God desiring to initiate something in your life but because you don't, you don't open his word, that the avenue that he initiates through, that that opportunity isn't even there? Are we rooted in God's word? We're gonna end uh, this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna share communion together. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and ask the band. They can come back up and, and share communion before, um, before, we, before we wrap up. But in, in 2018, how would your life look different if you were, if you were committed to God's word? How would your life look different if you were committed to God's word? Where would you be used by God? Where would you be used? Would you be used differently in, in your workplaces or with your neighbors? Would you be used differently as you come into contact with, with family members who don't know Christ? Where would you be used differently? How would your heart be changed? Are there areas of your life that you just, you just held on to? You've held on to them for years because you just don't know how to give them up. And you don't even know what repentance truly looks like in certain areas of your life. How, will your, how would your heart be changed? Your heart towards God and your heart towards your sin if we were committed to God's word this year. So this year, as we spend time this morning just in, in reflection as we spend time uh, taking communion this morning, remembering all that God has done for us and all that God continues to do for us, 
I'm just going to ask you guys just to take a few minutes and think through those questions. Think and, and pray through those questions. How would my life look different this year if I was committed to, committed to the discipline of God's word, finding joy in God's word? If I was committed to applying the things that I read, if I was committed to applying where the spirit revealed truth to my heart, what if instead of just saying, that's annoying when the Holy Spirit brings conviction. What if we said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my life. I'm gonna, in response to, to God's Spirit speaking to me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually make, make a change and repent in my life because my desire for the joy of Christ is so much greater than my desire to be self-pleasing and self-satisfying. So spend some time just, just praying through some of those questions and then come and, and embrace the, the grace that exists at this table, the grace that exists because Jesus was the word of God, because he was a person who was, who was sent here by his father and he came to, to be obedient and to do his father's will. And that meant obedient even to death and death on a cross so that you and I could hear, could have ears that are, that are spiritually discerning because God has changed our hearts and exchanged our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh so that we can hear from him. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful, God, that those things are true. God, that we can open your word and God, we, we can know you. God, we can know the real Jesus. Not the Jesus that, that culture says we should, we should think and not the, the Jesus that our, that our parents or our grandparents think is true, but God, we can know you personally and intimately through your revealed word. And, and God, I, I pray, and I pray for our hearts that you would increase our desire. God, increase our desire to spend time with you. Increase our desire to know you more. God, give us joy. God, as we're, as we're disciplined and as we're committed, God, give us joy in our hearts as we, as we come to know you. And as we find just nuggets of truth and blessing as you reveal your word through your scripture, God, may we react to that and respond in an obedient manner. So God, may our 2018 be, be marked by obedience to your revealed word as we become a people who are, who are committed to spending time with you. And God, when we don't feel like it, God, increase our desire, stir up the affections of our heart. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.